Kim Chambers is a swimmer, and that's putting it lightly. You won't find her at a local gym or community pool swimming laps. Instead, you'll find her in shark-infested, freezing cold waters off the coast of Northern California. In less than 10 years, Kim has become one of the world's top marathon swimmers. She's a total badass, someone who's learned to face fear head on. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Kim didn't just decide to become a swimmer one day. Growing up in New Zealand, she challenged herself, finding an affinity for athletic endeavors like ballet and rowing. But her journey to the open water wasn't as simple as you might think. Tell me a little bit about growing up in New Zealand and You said you wanted to be a ballerina. Yeah. So I was a ballerina for 15 years from the age of 2 to 17. And I grew up on a farm, a sheep farm. And I was this girl who was kind of a tomboy who loved animals, but also loved to express herself on stage. And my mom facilitated that. I traveled around the country, New Zealand, performing. And I set all these exams and I was became qualified to teach And it consumed my life. So how did you go from being a ballerina to then rowing crew at Berkeley? Yeah, so I'm lucky that I have been naturally athletic. And my older brother was uh, accepted into Berkeley as a a rower. So they said, well, Kim, you're, you know, you're tall, you're coordinated. Why don't you go on the men's, on the women's rowing team? And I was like, "Uh, okay. And I did it. Uh, it wasn't pretty, but I love pushing myself athletically, and that allowed me uh, an avenue to do that. So take take us how you got into swimming, because yeah. this story is incredible. So I rode on the Berkeley rowing team, and I was kind of I was basically kind of like a gym rat, and I was living a life that, as I look back, it was pretty superficial. I was obsessed with being skinny. I was obsessed with being able to fit into designer outfits. And in 2007, just shortly after my 30th birthday, I was going to a freelance job. I was wearing a pantsuit that was more expensive than I care to share and uh, high heels. And I slipped down that staircase. And long story short, I woke up after I'd had surgery on my leg and um, I was 30 minutes from amputation. And that wasn't how I saw my life, but that was it. And I was devastated. 30 minutes from amputation and you just had fallen downstairs wearing high heels and you'd been an executive at Adobe. Not at Adobe that time, but I was masters from Berkeley, and I was like, "Yeah, this is it. This is life. I'm I am a superficial woman, and I'm owning it." So, how does a fall like that cause you to possibly almost have your leg amputated? So, I was diagnosed with acute compartment syndrome, so blunt force trauma to my leg, and people actually break their necks falling downstairs. But I I'm a little stubborn, and I have my mother to, to blame for that. Thanks, mom. And I, I really, when it happened, I thought that I was dealing with just a major bruise. I really did not comprehend the gravity of the situation. Um, and it wasn't until I passed out from the pain that I was admitted into hospital and then 
you know, hours later, I'm literally waking up, looking at my leg suspended with just disbelief that that had happened to me. For most of us as athletes, just being injured as an athlete sounds like one of the scariest thing ever because we can't do, you know, all of us love to be able to move as athletes. Yep. So not being able to walk again. How did you deal with the fear of not knowing if you would ever be able to walk again? Yeah, and no, that's a great question, Shelby, because I, you know, as I'm sharing this, I've kind of glossed over a lot of it because, you know, we all have coping mechanisms, right? But I, I have to say that without any doubt, without any hesitation, when I was told that, you know, after the surgery that they'd saved my leg and, you know, we don't know if you'll have any functionality, it was a pivotal moment in my life. I was like, I'm very stubborn. I'm goal-oriented. And I, I, I was just like, no, I'm not going to accept that. And I had no reason to, no reassurance to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to be able to make it through. But I can tell you, when you are faced with a mountain ahead of you and you have no idea how you're going to do it, I can guarantee that all of us have within ourselves the ability to look at that mountain, not only be scared by it, but to use it as fuel to take the first step. And that's, I guess, the biggest message that I want to share with everybody is that I'm not different. I'm not special. I'm like everybody else. But I was forced, literally forced into a corner of saving my life. So was there a time when you were like, pretty freaked out though that you might not be able to walk oh yeah yeah I mean I spent two years learning to walk again those were the most traumatic two years of my life I went down a very deep dark hole I, I don't know how I made it through but I would argue that by them telling you well we don't know if you'll ever make it through well we don't know if you'll ever you know have any functionality of your leg while they are being frank and honest which I appreciate and respect it's actually not what we want to hear. The whole sort of idea of, uh, of diagnosis of a medical condition is that you can be honest with somebody but arm them with that perspective, just be like, you know, here's your chance to show up and front up. You can tell somebody the truth that, you know, this is, you, this is what's going to happen. But for people like me, I love to be armed with a challenge and I love to prove people wrong. How did you find swimming? You know, I'd spent two years basically rehabilitating my leg. And I just sort of, I felt drawn to the water. And I started swimming in a pool in San Francisco. And really, and there were these guys at the pool were like, hey, Kim, have you ever thought about swimming in the bay? I was like, no, but I'll do it. And that they videoed it. And that was really the beginning. So open water ocean swimming. I mean, that's just totally different <laughs> than swimming in the pool. Yeah. What about it do you love so much? I mean, I think I heard you yeah. say something about it being very nurturing. Yeah. So for me, you know, coming off, you know, swimming in a pool, I had been on pain meds for two years. Neurontin, Percocet, everything, because I was in severe pain. And I chose to go off all of that because I didn't like how it made my head feel. And here I am in a pool, pretty vulnerable. My scar I have a skin graft on my thigh. I mean, it was just, it wasn't how I wanted to show up. Mm. And then these guys were like, hey, have you swum in the bay? And I was like, no, but I'll do it for a dare. 
you know, and I got in that water and I mean, I will, it was November of 2009 and I will never forget that experience. And they changed the course of my life because I got in that water, no wetsuit. It was 53 degree water and I could not stop smiling. And they gifted me with possibility. They gifted me with the light at the end of the tunnel of a two-year journey where I I wanted to prove people wrong, but I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. And getting that water, I knew I did it 100%. Oh, that's so cool. And I, I love that you're so ballsy because 53-degree water is so cold and well when two cute guys show up and they're like dare you like you i think any any one of us would do that <laughs> yeah, i do some dumb things for cute guys um <laughs> not gonna lie so at first you said your your coach said you couldn't swim out of a paper bag i mean you, yeah. you sucked you're a terrible swimmer he was accurate yeah <laughs> he was accurate but i you know i i just i was like this little like puppy that just kept following and i was just like i think i can i think i can and you know, it just takes one person to believe in you, one person. And I was very fortunate to have more than that because when I joined the Dolphin Club and the South End Rowing Club here in San Francisco, I saw on the wall the the achievements of people, ordinary people who had swum the English Channel. I was like, wow. I could see when they did it, the time that they took across the channel. And I was like, wow, these are real-life heroes in my midst. So you immediately – start swimming these gnarly swims, all the major channels, which is crazy because all I've ever swam is the buoy and back, which is a mile max. Tell me about these major channel swims. There's one you did in particular that I watched in your movie, Kim Swims, which is an incredible movie that made me cry. And you swim the North Channel between Scotland and Ireland. Yep. Talk to me about this swim. How long was it? Okay, so first of all, first of all, you know, as I alluded to, without really realizing when I joined the Dolphin Club and the South End Rowing Club, I kind of inserted myself into this world of adventurers, a secret society of of adventurers who were doing these long-distance swims, and I would look at them like they were superheroes, but they were just ordinary people. And I love that sort of normalizing of great achievements. So I just became intoxicated by achieving something I didn't think was possible. How long ago was this after the injury? This was six years post-surgery, four four years since today. So tell me what it's like to swim these distances and their marathons in the water. So it's a little false advertising when they say 30 miles. You actually think you're swimming 21 miles, but... You get shafted because when you're out there in the water, they're like, oh, wow, we're not done yet. But uh, so the currents are very, very strong. A straight line, it's 21 miles, but the currents move so that you go north and you go south. So it's about 30, 33 miles for any of these swims. So what happens to you? What does it take physically, mentally to swim a channel swim that's about 30 miles or 21 miles? What happens to your body? So it, it takes a lot of physical preparation because we don't wear a wetsuit. There's no shark cage, no wetsuit. You are the only swimmer in the water. Um, you have a boat next to you. And one of my fellow swimmers articulated it pretty succinctly. He said, you know what? You're in so much pain. You are cold because you're a ticking time bomb for hypothermia. And the boat is next to you like all you have to do to make that pain go away is touch the boat because then you'll be disqualified. 
So it's tantalizing. And I love that challenge um, because you are a ticking time bomb for hypothermia. You have a team that feeds you. So every 30 minutes I am given a rope with a drink bottle and my feed is viscous because you can't chew and swim at the same time. So it's like a thick smoothie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like a pet seal. (laughs) And I, I keep my feedings like 10 seconds or less and then I drink from the drink bottle and then I throw it in the water. They reel it back in and I keep moving because you don't want to stop moving. What else do you say to yourself in your head to get over your fear of touching the boat? So I, I, everyone's different. Some people sing songs, some people chant, but I, it's a very spiritual journey for me. Mm. And each of my swims, I've been blessed to have the people on my boat who are very, very special to me. My mum included from New Zealand. My dad is like behind the scenes with the logistics and flights, but my mum, she loves being on the boat. And, uh, I think for me, that's what gets me through is knowing that I have these people who believe in me because these swims are 90% mental. So on this particular swim, the channel swim, it sounds like I learned, you know, there was a part where you you almost died. Yep. And I don't know if it was from jellyfish or hypothermia. Jellyfish, pulmonary edema. So oh, I was no. stung hundreds of times by jellyfish. Um, I finished the swim. I looked like a gremlin when I finished. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember it. Um, but I was put in a respiratory ward and then I was flown back to San Francisco and I was put in a... Cardiac ward, so. Gnarly. Yeah, but I wouldn't change any of it. Like, I love pushing myself to that edge. And my only regret is that that was my last Ocean 7, and I don't remember finishing. You were in that much pain from from all the jellyfish you don't even remember. How do you recover from something like that? Well, I tell people I'm like a a cockroach. (laughs) I, uh, for whatever reason, I keep bouncing back and... You know, that was traumatic. And I, you know, and I have a habit of glossing over things using humor. Before I did my swim that we'll talk about, there was a thing on Facebook that said, you know what, if someone came into my living room in the middle of the night wearing just a Speedo, I'd probably kill him too. (laughs) You must say something to yourself to keep going. What is that mantra? When I will get into the swim, but one swim in particular, I was chanting my way through the labyrinth at a church here in San Francisco. It's a labyrinth on on the ground, and you just, like, walk through it until you find your way through. And I found myself chanting, please just give me permission to keep going. Please just grant me permission to keep going. And I am here. I'm not here for any harm. I'm just here. Just grant me permission to move through your waters with grace. And I take a very spiritual approach to all of my swims. It's not about conquering a mountain. It's not about conquering a stretch of water. I pay deference to that stretch of water and I prayed it. You know, when I swam in in Japan, I swam across. Before I did the swim, I I prayed at a 2,000-year-old shrine when I've swum at the Farallons, I have been there many times. And for me, it's just like, give me the grace to pass through your stretch of water. Kim didn't let all those jellyfish things stop her from pursuing more amazing feats. Nine months later, she made a decision to swim one of the most intense and dangerous marathon swims of all time. Listen to Kim talk about her decision after this message from our sponsors. 
If you're like me, then you know the same old, same old can get pretty old. REI happens to agree, which is why they think every day is a good day to change things up and opt outside. Whether that means you take a walk in the park or a longer walk down the trail, well, that's totally up to you. You could go climbing, camping, skiing, even spelunking. The options are almost endless. Whatever you want to do, REI is here to help you get outside. So visit REI.com or your local store to find out more. In the recently released film about Kim's decision to swim the Farallon Islands, which is called Kim Swims and directed by the talented Kate Weber, someone in her crew describes the Farallon Islands as like being in heaven and talking to the devil at the same time. With the swim, there was a million factors at play. Currents, winds, water temps, waves, darkness since she swam at night. Not to mention a large population of great white sharks. So why the Farallons? Oh, well, how much time do you have? So I, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I talked about people believing in you, and that's been my key ingredient. And Vito Biala, who runs Night Train Swimmers, he saw my potential. But he normalized these experiences, and we would go out to the Farallons on the weekends with my team, and we would just frolic and I would be in the water and these seals and sea lions would swirl around me and mm. they'd be a few feet from me. And it was just this, it was a wonderland. And I felt like I had paid deference to these islands and I'd been on these relay swims. And So you did a few relay swims to the Farallon Islands before. Yeah. And it's a scary stretch of water, but it is so, it's just, it's, it's off the charts. It's, it's, um, it's my spiritual home. And so... I told him that I wanted to swim solo from the Farallones. And he said, tell me when, I'll, I'll help you do it. So let's go back a little bit. So on some of your other swims, I mean, when you prepare, you really prepared. So like for the North Island swim, I read that you, would, you, would, you didn't shower in warm water for six months before <laughs> because you wanted to experience cold water because yeah. it was cold. For this one, I mean, how many hours a day were you in a pool or swimming in the open ocean? For the Farallons, I was probably in the water about three or four hours a day, and then I would lift weights when I got home. Just three or four hours a day? <laughs> yeah. And I look back on that, I'm like, who is that crazy woman? Because I got locked into a goal, and I, I, I have to be honest with you that I have a really hard time connecting with that person. But I now know from my experiences that we're all capable of far more than we're capable of. I mean, three or four hours is no joke to commit while you're a software executive at a big <laughs> yeah. company in San Francisco. Yeah. So would you get up at 5 a.m. and swim? At 4.45 a.m. to be exact. Oh. <laughs> this girl's amazing. So the Farallons. Let's go to that moment. You have this goal to swim the Farallon Islands just a couple days before or maybe not even that many days before. One of your friends, something happens to him trying to swim the Farallon Islands. Yeah. So um, I'm a Kiwi and my training partner was an Australian. So we get along, you know, um, but he had been attempting to do that swim and he had his wife and one of his daughters on the boat and he was circled by a great white shark. And he'd been in that water for 18 hours, so no wetsuit, but as you move your neck, you you chafe and the blood was, you know, the the shark picked up on the scent and... uh, He was hauled onto the boat, and that was the end of his swim. 
so that was two weeks before my swim. And I, and I, I guess I, and I said in the film, I, I, and to this day, I'm struck by the fact that there was really no hesitation in my mind. I, it didn't scare me. I was so locked into achieving this for myself that I was not listening to people who had very rational opinions. And I think for all of us, when you, that's a lesson that I kind of want to share with people is, you know, we get locked into a goal, but at what cost? So I'm aware of that. I'm just doing some soul searching. <laughs> that's a really good question. You know, at what cost do we do these crazy things? But you took some calculated risks. With the sharks, you wore a shark shield, which supposedly has an electromagnetic field to deter sharks. What else did you do? You went at night, which is that better? Yeah. And they, you know, they, they work union hours, so they don't work Monday through Friday. They only work Saturday and Sundays. <laughs> so you went on a weekday. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's just you have to have fun with it because it's just but I, I really had felt like I'd paid deference to those islands because mm. it's a very spiritual place for me and remains as such. So people might think I'm crazy, but I I I've never seen a shark in those waters. Never. Wow. I love how you talk about spirituality, especially when it comes to the animals you see. There's a scene where you're swimming with dolphins <laughs> along one of the channel crossings. Yeah. What was that like? I think you're referring to the Cook Strait, which is between the North and South Island of New Zealand. So your home country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was my first successful solo. I had actually tried to complete a solo swim, but I'd failed because... I got ahead of myself, but I was very proud to be in that stretch of water as my maternal grandfather was on his, you know, approaching the sunset of his life, if you will. And uh, it's a sharky stretch of water. And when those dolphins showed up, it was just like, wow, it's the, cav the cavalry has arrived. And I could hear them squeak underwater, and so I would squeak back, and it just seemed like that was the right thing to do. And so they were zip zipping underneath me, beside me, and, you know, for all the swims I've done, I've had these interactions with nature. The fact that they know that I'm not there to harm them, it's just, I can't even explain it in words. The fact that they knew I was a friend is everything. Everything. The fact that they knew, I mean, I, I, I'm sure they were making fun of me and they're like, George, she can't even swim. Like, did you see that woman? Like, what is she doing in this water? Can we, shall we help her? And I, 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 I accept that they had sort of a dialogue, but regardless, they, they were just, it was just like when they showed up, I was just like, wow, we're in this together. And they didn't think for one moment that I was going to harm them. And that's the biggest gift of all of this, rather than like having said that I've achieved that swim. Kim, your attitude and approach to life is so beautiful. You know, I, I so appreciate this. So the Farallon Islands, your mom comes out, everybody yep. comes out. You'd start at 11.15 at night and you swim for uh, 17 hours and 12 minutes. I mean, I, who's counting, but... I don't do anything for 17 hours and 12 minutes. <laughs> What did it feel like when you crossed the Golden Gate Bridge doing the Farallon Islands? I have a habit of crying during my swims. 
And I tell people the person getting out of the water at the end of the swim, for me at least, is a completely different person from the woman who jumped in the water in the middle of the night. It is a surrender. And, you know, when I was about to jump in the water at the Farallons, it was 11.15 at night. And my mum was there from New Zealand. She'd been on my other swims. And I'm at the stern of the boat on the platform. And I did, like the, the, the water is like lapping invitingly at my, at my body. And I didn't want to put my toes in the water. And my mum pokes her head over and she's like, well, hurry up then. <laughs> and I'm like, mum, I'm having a moment here. Like I'm trying to, like, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts. That was just a special moment. And the whole journey was very spiritual. But when I saw that bridge, I started crying. And, you know, when you see something for a distance, it's in that sort of, it's a blue sort of, a tint and then you get closer and closer and then you can see the colors come into view and it was very very spiritual it was just I, I knew I was a, I was about to achieve a goal that meant everything to me as a human being Kim's journey isn't just about herself though she was the first woman to complete the swim between the Farallon Islands and San Francisco and she uses her platform to talk to girls of all ages about both body image issues as well as perseverance realizing your own potential, and facing our fears. What's your message to little girls and old girls like well, me? Yeah, well, and I love that. So I love speaking to little girls because, you know, I came from a background as a ballerina. And so going into the sport where I had to gain weight because it is life or death. And so I love telling little girls is that my body is this vessel. And it has to be as seaworthy as possible. And, and and as such, this body got me from England to France. It's not about saying I swam the, the English Channel. It's about really realizing the potential of our bodies. And so I love showing little girls what's possible. And what I love about open water swimming is there's no separate category for men and women. There's no separate division for women swimming the English Channel. And I love that. I love that you can show up as a feminine woman and still be counted on even playing field as a man. And I think that's very, very powerful. Your body didn't just take you from England to France, but it took you across seven major channels, across the Farallon Islands. I mean, your body can move, Kim. It's incredible. But I'm the first to say I didn't do it alone. I, I, I share that achievement with everyone who has helped me along the way. But you're the only one in the water. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a sacrificial lamb. But <laughs> I, I guess my, my sort of feedback is that if you want to do something that changes your life, it can be as small or as big as you want it to be. The, the ing secret ingredient is surrounding yourself with people who believe in you. Mm, so that's a good approach to fear. I mean, if you have fear, surround yourself with people who support you. And you should have fear. Like my, my, without realizing it until I've got to this point is if you are fearful of something, that's really the allure that is telling you, you should do it. I've had naysayers. I've had people who have thought that I was stupid for, for, for doing this. But if you can create this sort of cocoon of positivity, you can achieve anything. And then you believed in yourself at some point. Uh, it took me some time to get to that, but I have to say I wouldn't have done it without the people in my life. So let's go there because one of the things that I think holds so much of us back from facing fear, or at least me, and I'll speak from personal advice, is fear of failure. Yep. 
Yep. How do we get over this? So the Farallon Islands are 30 miles off the coast of Northern California. It takes about two and a half hours to get to their, those islands by boat. And I've made my swim very, very public because I love to raise money for charities. But as I was taking that two and a half hour boat ride out to the Farallons, I could put my hand on my heart and say the thing that I was worried about the most was failure. I was worried that if I get to the Farallons, what if I get there and I can't even get in the water? Because it was so scary. And I have learned through my journey of swimming, and I have had failures, is that you actually learn the most. And I know that sounds very, like, cliched, but, you know, as my Aussie training partner, Simon Dominguez, says, go hard and then go home. <laughs> Give it everything. We're only on this lifetime for once. That's it. That's it. That's it. What, have you, what do you have to lose? That's such good advice. Well, you said you failed once, one of the first swims you did. I failed many times, yeah. What do you, what do, you do when you fail? Uh, it motivates me even more because I get really annoyed at myself <laughs> because I'm a perfectionist. But um, a failure, you know, I have to say that I don't, I don't know if I'm articulating it right, but when you hear about people achieving these great feats of swimming the English Channel or climbing Everest or whatever it is. How many times have you heard about the failures? You don't. Not much. We live in a society where the, 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 the success is the primary source of adulation, of, 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 of success. I'm putting that in air quotes. But I have to say, from my own experience, it's through the failures that you actually grow and you learn the most. And I'm the first to say I'm afraid of that, just like anybody else. I'm afraid of embarrassing myself. I'm afraid of, yeah, I'm afraid of embarrassing myself and saying, you know what, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, and then I fail. But failure is actually a very loaded term, and I would say that as I look back on it, that it's not a failure. It's actually a gift. So you look at a lot of things like gift, adversity, failure, which is so opposite of what so many of us learn. And I think that's really interesting. You know, just a few months ago, you said you were diagnosed again with a debilitating disease that left you almost paralyzed. Guillain-Barre. Uh, Guillain-Barre. Yeah, I was paralyzed from the waist down. So it's an autoimmune? Yeah, so my body started attacking itself. I was actually in the best shape of my life. Um, and I woke up on May the 6th and I couldn't feel my left foot. And then I couldn't feel my left calf muscle. And then within hours, it moved over to my right leg. And I was 60 minutes from it paralyzing my respiratory system. But I have to say, as horrific as that has been, I, I don't think I would have made it through had I not been armed with the maturity of having gone through other experiences. And I think if I can tell you know people that are listening is that life is not a, a linear trajectory. It's not one that we'll go through and be scot-free. We the, Trauma is inevitable. It won't be packaged the way you think it will be packaged. But I think being armed with the expectation that I expect something to happen and to be able to know that you'll find your way through it. And that's what got me through. 
I mean, it's such an anomaly. So was this related at all to your other injury? No. No, they don't know. They don't know. So they're studying me right now, uh, which is, uh, I guess that's something to be proud of. I don't know. But, um, but I, you know, I've had amazing medical care, but it, it is a little bit perplexing because my paralysis was aggressive. Equally so was my recovery. So, um, hmm. but I, I, you know, I couldn't be happier. Sure, I, it was traumatic, um, but I have I've learned along the way that I know what gets me through these experiences, and that's having a close group of friends who who literally shepherded me through these experiences. So, and I hope that for everybody, really. Well, I think it's so cool. You have so many good friends, and you're so honest about telling these stories. I mean, I have an autoimmune thing, and it's so weird. No one knows why it causes it. It's scary. I've it's really tried scary. Tried all sorts of cures. Yeah, it's really scary. Did Gans Beret? You said it had affected mentally too. How did it yeah. affect you mentally? So it started off with my legs, and then I was in the ICU, and then I was in a rehab hospital, and then two weeks later, I lost functionality of my arms, and then I couldn't speak certain words, especially starting with an R or an M. I don't know why. Um, and I was recently in the hospital over th- just before Thanksgiving. So, But I wasn't, strangely enough, I wasn't traumatized. I wasn't upset. I was just like... I mean, you can call me like peace, love, and patchouli oil, but I really <laughs> firmly believe that we are on a path that's predetermined. And anything that happens, happens because it's supposed to happen. Wow. How did you How did you physically overcome that? Like, did you take medicine? Did you do physical therapy? I, I did 135 uh, physical therapy sessions. I was given antibodies in the hospital, but I wasn't in any pain. Um... I know. I just, I, 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 honestly, if I could speak completely openly, I would not have made it through the summer had I not gone through what I went through 10 years ago with my leg injury. Kim, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I guess a lot of people listening are going through something that they can't control. What's your advice to people like me? Oh, this is my favorite topic. This is my favorite topic because I'm a control freak. But when the rug was pulled out from underneath me, I learned real quick what was the magic of life. And I, I hope that I can have some, I guess, some validity in saying that, you know what, life is not straightforward. We will all go through experiences that are traumatic. But I know that from my experiences, is that you're surrounding yourself with people who believe in you will get you through. And yes, I've been traumatized. I, I mean, this summer really tested my resolve. To watch my body being become paralyzed before my very eyes, to not cooperate as I had instructed it to, was maddening. It was depressing. It was, it was destructive. I think we live a life, each of us, of not really appreciating what we have and taking it for granted and I have lived a life where I'm like you know what if you if this happens I can fix it I didn't know how I was going to fix it and it was very very traumatic but I've been armed with the maturity from my past experiences to know that this will probably happen again and you learn so much about yourself in these moments 
One thing that really struck me while I was talking to Kim was her sense of humor. I've hung out with quite a few Kiwis and I've noticed it's a trait a lot of them share, but what I thought was most impressive is Kim maintains this attitude despite everything that's happened to her. The fact that she was paralyzed weeks before I spoke with her or that she nearly lost a leg, none of that stopped her from cracking jokes about some really heavy parts of her journey. What role does comedy play in your life? Oh, well, and thank you for bringing it up. I've mentioned it a few times. Like, I've glossed over some traumatic events because I've used humor. I guarantee we'll all go through traumatic events. But if you can accept it and have some humor associated with it, it'll make it a lot easier. Why not just take life by the, you know, the cojones or whatever you, I, no habla espanol, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but you know what? This is it. This is it. We only really have one chance. What do you do for fun other than swim? I know you like dogs. So, yeah. So I, I love dogs. I, I think I'm on a watch list in my community for harassing dogs. Um, you know how they have the next door app. I think I'm like the the yeah. I'm on a watch list. But I I love uh, working with nonprofits with dogs. I I love making people laugh. I love writing. I'm working on my own book right now, and um, I've been very lucky that I I have a film about my story. So Kate Weber, who is a first time female director. She captured my story more eloquently than I could ever imagine, and it's called Kim Swims. And uh, she, the film is available on Amazon and iTunes. But there was a, a, definitely a, a very vulnerable moment of gifting my story to someone else, and she nailed it. And this film really speaks to her grace and her elegance as a filmmaker. So. That's kind of, that's what's going on with oh, me right I now. I bawled my eyes out during that movie. We'll <laughs> definitely link to it in the show notes. Kate, you did a great job if you're listening. We ask all of our guests this, you know, any advice you can give to all the listeners on how to live more wildly and how to say yes to fear? Hmm. I love that question, how to live more wildly and how to say yes to fear. So for what it's worth, I know from my experience, if I'm afraid of something, it means I have to do it. I have to approach that goal um, because I know from my own personal experience that any time I have faced a fear or something that I'm afraid of or something I think I'm not capable of, we all have fears. We all are um, judgmental of ourselves. We're like, I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. But you know what? If you switch that in your mind and you say, you know what? I'm worthy and I can approach that goal. I guarantee when you break through that goal, you will realize a new sense of self and it's a beautiful, beautiful gift and no gold medal, no standing on a podium would do it justice. As I set goals for myself in 2019, Kim's words are having a huge impact on me and I hope they do for you too. She doesn't let the fear of failure or things that could go wrong get too deep into her head. She's a true believer in doing things that scare you and pushing herself to live a more colorful and exciting life. After our interview, she told me she's already planning her next endeavor and she said her parents were a little concerned, so you know it's going to be a big one. You can follow along on her website, kimswims.com, that's K-I-M-S-W-I-M-S.com, and you can check out her movie, 
kimswims.com forward slash film. If you like this show, please leave us a review. Thanks again to Kim Chambers. Kim, we definitely need to go surfing. Thank you to Hyde Street Studios. This is where the Grateful Dead recorded and where Kim and I recorded this podcast. This podcast is produced and edited by Annie Fassler. It's co-produced by Chelsea Davis. It's supported by REI, a brand that helps us get out there and explore on more adventures. To all of you listening, I hope today you go out and take advantage of the world around us and maybe push yourself a little harder to reach that next goal. And I also hope you remember some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Tune in week after next. <laughs>